Well, we've, uh, we've been on a fun little summer journey, haven't we? Uh, through the Gospels, looking at some of the stories that Jesus has told, some of the parables that Jesus has told. Uh, and, uh, you know, we call these stories parables. Parable literally means to come alongside. Uh, Jesus is, is coming alongside the people that he's teaching, the people that he is with, uh, in order to kind of teach them and, and, and do so in a way that allows the listener to hear the truth in sort of language that they understand. He's not teaching necessarily a, a theologically heavy, like a, a, a big worded lesson. He's teaching a, a life truth through story form. And this is what really a parable is. And it's important to understand as we, as we continue with this series that parables always have purpose. You will never read a parable in scripture that does not have a purpose behind it. Jesus wasn't just kind of taking the easy road out because he didn't want to talk theology with people. Jesus was, was teaching about life and teaching about discipleship and teaching about all sorts of things, giving people truth that people could understand, and really this truth they could understand in a way that would transform and shape who they are and how they live. And we've seen this so far, and with the, the six, uh, and Jason, Jason's parable made seven, we've done this, this is week eight technically here, but we've seen this in the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, the call to humility, we've seen it in the, the parable of the wise and the foolish builders, this call to obedience, the, the good Samaritans call to love, the kingdom's call to be a participant in the kingdom, the parable of the tower to count the cost of, of discipleship, and last week's parable, uh, which I really didn't have a name for, I just kind of just... I think of it as the parable of the grumpy neighbor. Uh, that's kind of in my head. I don't know if that's actually what it should be called, but that's what I think of it when I think of it in my head. A call to just be, just be shamelessly audacious, as Scripture says, with our prayers. And I hope that as you prayed this week, you have done that. You know, this week has been sort of an interesting week for me. And I'll just, I'm just going to be really honest with you. The last three weeks, I have planned to preach through Luke 15. The parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, flip those, and then the parable of the lost son. Uh, I have planned to just do a week on Luke 15, and uh, every week, without fail, on Thursday and Friday, when I kind of sit down and put all of my notes together in one spot that I can preach off of, uh, God has kind of just kind of just put a mind block. I don't even know how else to, to do this. Like, when it's time to put it all together... There's just a block in my mind, and God leads me to a different parable. That has been happening for the last three weeks, and it happened again this week. Again, I have, I have every intention of preaching through Luke 15 at some point during this series, but it's not going to be today either, all right? So, uh, but today, and the, the funny thing about this, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23 this morning, and... Uh, I'll be honest, this passage that we're going to look at today, it was on my mind. I know that God is calling me to preach this, but I'm not quite sure it's a parable. Uh, and so there's, there's the heart of a parable in it for sure, uh, but you're just going to have to stick with me this morning. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me, Matthew chapter 23. Um, and uh, if, you, if you are using the Pew Bible and need some help, it's on page 849. And uh, again, like I say every week, if you don't have a Bible and you have a pew Bible in front of, in front of you, just take that. It is your Bible now. Uh, as you're turning there, I'll give you just a little bit of context into where we're going here this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 23 is towards the back end of Matthew. It is not quite to the Last Supper and all that kind of stuff, but it's getting, getting a little bit closer to there. And what is happening at this time is Jesus is just... Seemingly always in these conversations with Pharisees. Uh, 
Pharisees testing him on various things. They were trying to trap him about things like taxes. We have that famous verse, give to Caesar what is Caesar and God's what is God's. We have them asking him about marriage after the resurrection. We have them uh, talking about the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is, the, this is a passage in Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus has pretty much, from our vantage point at least, Passed every test with flying colors. The Pharisees don't like some of the answers that they're getting, but, but he, has, he has been challenging them. He has been answering their questions in ways that don't allow them to trap him. He's not, being, he's not being trapped by them. And then we get to chapter 23, and Jesus starts to kind of flip the script on the Pharisees a little bit and the teachers of the law and begins to, to call them out. Hey, you know, I, I, I like to say, it's not, I'm not calling you out, I'm calling you up. Uh, Jesus was just, just calling them out. Uh, he, was, he was calling them out here. Uh, and so I want to just, we'll just begin in, in 23, and uh, we'll go for a little bit, and then we'll stop. So, then Jesus said to his disciples, said to the, said, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be the servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we have sort of this, this indictment on the Pharisees. And after, after this indictment, he begins to, to talk about what we call the seven woes on the Pharisees. There are seven of these where he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And I want to just... I want to just read these together. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But, if, but, if any, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. 
You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look, on, look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you some prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Bechariah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Woo! Yeah, that's another, another hard passage. Another one where you read and you're just like, man, there's, there's a lot here. Right, but Jesus is, is not shy about calling out the Pharisees. And really, in one particular area, did you catch this word that kept over and over and over again? He called them, woe to you, you hypocrites. He was calling out their hypocrisy. And again, I'm not... I'm not sure that this passage technically qualifies as a parable, but there are a couple of these woes that have parable qualities and really the heart of a parable in there, particularly for me, woes, tw- woes 5 and 6 uh, in verse 25 through 28. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. And then he goes to verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Jesus here calling out the the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, saying you put on a show on the outside. You look good on the outside, but the insides are nasty. The insides are nasty. Disgusting, And this is not just a, a one-off thing of Jesus calling out the Pharisees. He does so again in Luke chapter 12, uh, 1 through 3. Uh, he does so all, a lot of times in the Gospels. But, but here's, here's what he says in Luke chapter 12, just real quick. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the day 
daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. He calls out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees over and over and over again in the Gospels, but here he gives us just some images to think about what hypocrisy actually looks like, which is really the heart of, of a parable. Give me a picture. Give me a, a story that I can see, that I can picture, that will help me make this life transformation. I think Jesus calls them out on their hypocrisy because he knows that one of the main things that will get people to walk away from belief in him is the people who claim him to, to live lives of hypocrisy. In fact, just recently, Brennan Manning, a theologian, said this in talking about hypocrisy. I read it recently. I don't know when they said it. But the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I love that last line. It's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable when Christians claim Jesus with their mouth, but their lives look nothing like him. This is what Jesus was, was calling out. And I think really what this does this morning is help us kind of build a foundation of what is hypocrisy and what is not hypocrisy. Because I think sometimes we, we get it mixed up. Hypocrisy is not kind of the disparity between what we wish we would do and what we do. That's not hypocrisy. Uh, hypocrisy is not based on a wish. Hypocrisy is a difference between what we show and who we are. It is a difference between what we say and how we live. It's the difference between our public, kind of our public persona and our private character. This is hypocrisy when there is a difference in those things. And this is the one that Jesus is railing against. There's a word that he uses here. It's uh, uh, in the Greek, hupokrites. Sounds a lot like hypocrite, right? Uh, hupokrites is the Greek word there. And it, it looks and sounds like the word that we know, but what it literally means is an actor. Or in this time, it means a stage performer. Someone who puts on a mask and acts. This is what hypocrisy really is when you think about it. In fact, Titus 1.16 is actually, I think, a great running definition for us of what hypocrisy is. And Titus is not Jesus, it's Paul speaking, but Titus 1.16 says, they claim to know God, by their, but by their actions they deny him. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. I think Jesus, in calling the, the, the Pharisees out on the hypocrisy in their lives, there is, there is nothing more that Je there's nothing that Jesus speaks more harshly about in Scripture than hypocrisy. Jesus rails on hypocrisy. There's this whole chapter basically just dedicated to Jesus just, just railing on hypocrisy. But I, here's what I find really interesting and fascinating as I read this. Jesus was not calling out the sin. He was calling out the show. He was not calling out their sin. He was calling out their, their show. It was, woe to you who do it and act like you don't. That's basically what he's saying. Woe to you who do it and act like you don't. Here's a, here's a good word for us today. I really do believe this. 
This is the, if you hear nothing else, hear this and walk away and just keep this in your mind. Jesus has no tolerance for hypocrisy. Cannot stand it. But Jesus has unlimited grace for a person in need of forgiveness. I'm going to say this again, and I want you to catch this. Jesus has no tolerance for hypocrisy, but unlimited grace for someone asking for forgiveness. These are, I want to just look at these two images that Jesus gives in the woes 5 and 6 in this, in this chapter 23. The first one is of a cup and a dish. The outsides are clean, but the insides are not. The second one is of a, a whitewashed tomb. Again, the outside looks great, but then we know what's on the inside of a tomb. Bones and death and decay. We know what is in the inside of that. The outside looks great, but the inside, not so much. But actually, even in the midst of this, I told you he was just calling them out, but there is sort of a calling them up moment here. Right In verse 26, Jesus says, uh, he says, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. So these Pharisees, Jesus says, hey, look, you're like a cup, and that's dirty. Right? It's dirty on the inside. I would not drink out of that cup, but the outside looks great. You're like a tomb, a whitewashed tomb. The outside looks great, but the inside, eh, not so much. But he gives this kind of, you got to have the inside cleaned first. And then the outside will be good. There's sort of some, some hope for the hypocrite here, right? Uh, there's, some, there's some hope here. Because what he's saying is, he's saying you need to, to allow the Spirit of God to move in your heart, to move in your mind, to, to change you, to change the ways, to change the hypocrisy that is in your mind and in your life. And as the Holy Spirit changes what is inside of you, the outside looks different. When the inside changes, the outside looks different because there is an overflow of what the Holy Spirit is doing within you that makes your life look different. People should see you and look at you and think there is something different about that person. There is a holy glow around this person, if you will. Like there, there is just something different because of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And God is, God is he's saying, if, if, if God is allowed to move in you and cleanse you, you begin to display the goodness of God on the outside. And this display of the goodness of God on the outside is not as an, not as an act. It's not on our own thing. It's just an overflow of what God is already doing within your heart. Psalm 139 comes to mind. And I just, I know we've read a lot this morning, but I want to read the, actually the whole thing here too. Psalm 139 is a familiar psalm, but I want you to hear this. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will hold me fast. 
Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become a night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from you, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. And he ends with this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a psalm of of David. David is basically acknowledging, like, God, you know everything. And there's those three verses where it's like, I'm, I'm going to hate the people that you hate. This, I wish we could just like, just make that its own psalm. You know, like it just, sometimes it just doesn't feel like it fits. But uh, David in the psalm is basically like, you know everything about me. You know when I'm awake, you know when I'm asleep. You know when I'm moving, you know when I'm silent, you know when I'm talking, you know how I was built, you know the hairs on my head, you know, you've known me for eternity. You know me. And then he comes to this and he kind of embraces God's knowledge about him and he comes to this last prayer and he just says, so search me. Know my anxious thoughts. Know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, the hard part is when God actually answers that prayer and shows us the ways in which we might be living that are inconsistent with what we believe. I think as we look into ourselves and we think about this idea of hypocrisy, this idea of, is there a way that I'm, I know, I, I say I live this way, I say I believe this, but does my life match up? As we look inward and as we seek those things, I think this, this prayer, search me, God, know my heart, test my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I think as we pray these two lines, these two verses here, I think the hard part, again, is when God actually answers And he shows us those ways. God, show me where I'm being hypocritical in my life. Show me how how I'm living in ways that are not consistent with what I say I believe. Help me close the gap, God. Because here's really the question. How do I close this gap between what I believe and how I live? How How do I not be hypocritical? And I know this, I know this, we do not close the gap just by trying harder. That's not how it works. In fact, that's exactly what the Pharisees would do. Pharisees, teachers of the law, they, they, were, they took pride in themselves by, by upholding every piece of the law. 
They were the ones who were righteous. Remember we talked about this in the, the parable of the, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. How, how the Pharisee just feels so self-righteous because of all the things that he does. Thank God I'm not like those people who do all this stuff. Thank God I, I, I give a tenth of all I do. I fast and I pray regularly. I do all of these things. And this, the Pharisees would, would say even, this is what makes me righteous. This is what makes me not a hypocrite. Is I, I say I believe it and then I do all of these things. And Jesus looks at those Pharisees and and he says, you, you honor me with your mouth, but your hearts are far from me. We don't, we don't close this gap, of this hypocrisy gap, if you will, by just trying harder. We close the gap with Christ. We close the gap by allowing the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. We close the gap by allowing God to search us, to know our hearts, to test our thoughts, to see if there are offensive ways in us, and to lead us in the way everlasting. To lead us in the way that we say we believe that he's calling us to live. Jesus is the source. He is our healing. He is our redemption. He's the one who brings forgiveness. We let Jesus do the inside work, and the outside is transformed. Our lives look different because of the work of Jesus inside of us. I was, uh, this week, was cleaning the garage out a little bit, and uh, I was out there with my two kids, Hayden and Ashley, and uh, Ashley found my old high school yearbooks. And uh, she, was, she was looking in the yearbooks and making fun of the haircuts and all that good stuff, but then she was reading some of the comments that people had written in my yearbook. And uh, it was sort of interesting for me to look back and see what people had written about me, their thoughts about me, their, you know, this is what I'll remember about you. And, and most of them were, were small things, but the thing that came up over and over and over again was, I'm glad you finally started to talk. <laughs> I'm glad you finally started to come out of your shell. I feel like it was, uh, we've been we've known each other for a few years now and it wasn't until the last year or so that you really broke out and I just, I love hanging out with you. And I, I was, Ashley was asking me about this, were you shy in high school? And I was like, I don't think I was shy, I think I was just kind of to myself. There was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff going on at home at this time, you know, but I was just kind of to myself. and. Uh, and I said, but you know what? You know what this makes me think of is that if you were to go back to my high school and tell them what I do now, I'm a pastor, and really what I do a lot of is talk. <laughs> talk to people on the phone, I talk to people in email, I, I, I preach on the weekends, I, a lot of what I do involves talking. And I said, you know what, that just proves to me that this is such a God thing. That God has transformed who I am. Overcome some of the, the self-doubts and the, the just kind of the, the insecurities that I had within myself. That I just didn't feel like I 
I didn't want to talk in front of people. I didn't want to really know a lot of people. I just wanted to be to myself. But as I allowed God to move in my life, as I allowed God to, to change my heart, and, and as I leaned more into who he is and who he's calling me to be, God has allowed me to be the kind of person that he is calling me to be. It's not because I tried harder. I tried that. I took a communications class in college. It was the worst class I ever took in my life. <laughs> Getting up in front of random people talking about random things. That's the class. Hated it. <laughs> I hear some laughing. Maybe, maybe you're in the same boat. But man, I know this. When I get up to talk about the Bible, when I get up to talk about Jesus, when I have conversations with people about Jesus or the Bible and what God is calling us to do and what we believe as Christians and all, I just get so excited. Why? Because God has changed my life. He's changed my heart. He's changed who I am. He's changed, he's changed everything about me because he's called me to do this and he's going to empower me to do it. I think we don't, we don't, I don't know where that actually ties in with hypocrisy necessarily, but here's what I'm saying this morning. We don't close it by just trying harder. This gap between what our life looks like and what we say we believe. We don't close it by trying harder. We close it by just leaning into Jesus. We close it by leaning into scripture. We close it by, by stop, stopping to try to, stop trying to be good and just spending time with the one who is and allowing him to shape our mind. And, and I want to just Reiterate this. Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy, but he has unlimited grace for those people who want redemption, for those people who want forgiveness. God, forgive me for living this way and claiming, the, claiming another. First clean the inside of the cup, and the outside will be clean. Again, I'm not really... I'm not really sure why God gave me this passage this week. I don't know who needed to hear that. I don't know. Maybe it was me. I don't know. But here's what I want to do this week. I want to just spend some time praying this week about just that our church would be a church. And that us as individuals would be individuals whose beliefs and lives don't contradict that what we believe and how we live would be consistent. And as they are, that we would make a difference, as we always say, wherever we may find ourselves. God can change us from the inside out. We know that. We read in Romans chapter 12 that God transforms our mind. He can transform our lives. He can transform our hearts. Ezekiel 36, he can give us a new heart. He can take out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. We see all of this imagery in scripture. Let's let that be true for us. Let's not be hypocritical like the Pharisees who are just trying to do it just to do it because they think they're supposed to. Let's have our beliefs in our lives match. Let's allow them to, to be consistent. And I think as we do that, we're going to see God move in some powerful ways individually and corporately together. I really do. Let's pray.